Chapter Ten of Deephaven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betsy Bush in Marquette, Michigan, December two thousand eight. Deephaven by Sarah Orrin Jewett. Chapter Ten, Mrs. Bonney. I am sure that Kate Lancaster and I must have spent by far the greater part of the summer out of doors. We often made long expeditions out into the suburbs of Deephaven, sometimes being gone all day, and sometimes taking a long afternoon stroll and coming home early in the evening, hungry as hunters and laden with treasure, whether we had been through the pine woods inland or along shore whether we had met old friends or made some desirable new acquaintances. We had a fashion of calling at the farmhouses, and by the end of the season we knew as many people as if we had lived in Deephaven all our days. We used to ask for a drink of water. This was our unfailing introduction, and afterward there were many interesting subjects which one could introduce, and we could always give the latest news at the shore." It was amusing to see the curiosity which we aroused. Many of the people came into Deephaven only on special occasions, and I must confess that at first we were often naughty enough to wait until we had been severely cross-questioned before we gave a definite account of ourselves. Kate was very clever at making unsatisfactory answers when she cared to do so. We did not understand for some time with what a keen sense of enjoyment many of these people made the acquaintance of an entirely new person who cordially gave the full particulars about herself, but we soon learned to call this by another name than impertinence. I think there were no points of interest in that region which we did not visit with conscientious faithfulness. There were cliffs and pebble beaches, the long sands and the short sands, there were black rock and roaring rock, high point and east point and spouting rock we went to see where a ship had been driven ashore in the night all hands being lost and not a piece of her left larger than an axe handle we visited the spot where a ship had come ashore in the fog and had been left high and dry on the edge of the marsh when the tide went out we saw where the brig methuselah had been wrecked and the shore had been golden with her cargo of lemons and oranges which one might carry away by the wearyful Inland, there were not many noted localities, but we used to enjoy the woods and our explorations among the farms immensely. To the westward, the land was better and the people well-to-do, but we went oftenest toward the hills and among the poorer people. The land was uneven and full of ledges, and the people worked hard for their living, at most laying aside only a few dollars each year. Some of the more enterprising young people went away to work in shops and factories, but the custom was by no means universal, and the people had a hungry, discouraged look. It is all very well to say that they knew nothing better, that it was the only life of which they knew anything. There was too often a look of disappointment in their faces, and sooner or later we heard or guessed many stories. That this young man had wished for an education— but there had been no money to spare for books or schooling, and that one had meant to learn a trade, but there must be someone to help his father with the farm work, and there was no money to hire a man to work in his place if he went away. The older people had a hard look, as if they had always to be on the alert, and must fight for their place in the world. 
one could only forgive and pity their petty sharpness, which showed itself in trifling bargains, when one understood how much a single dollar seemed where dollars came so rarely. We used to pity the young girls so much. It was plain that those who knew how much easier and pleasanter our lives were could not help envying us. There was a high hill half a dozen miles from Deephaven, which was known in its region as the Mountain. It was the highest land anywhere near us, and having been told that there was a fine view from the top, one day we went there with Tommy Dockham for escort. We overtook Mr. Lorimer, the minister, on his way to make parochial calls upon some members of his parish who lived far from church, and to our delight he proposed to go with us instead. It was a great satisfaction to have him for a guide, for he knew both the country and the people more intimately than any one else. It was a long climb to the top of the hill, but not a hard one. The sky was clear, and there was a fresh wind, though we had left none at all at the sea level. After lunch, Kate and I spread our shawls over a fine cushion of mountain cranberry, and had a long talk with Mr. Lorimer about ancient and modern Deephaven. He always seemed as much pleased with our enthusiasm for the town as if it had been a personal favor and compliment to himself. I remember how far we could see that day, and how we looked toward the far-away blue mountains, and then out over the ocean. Deephaven looked insignificant from that height and distance, and indeed the country seemed to be mostly covered with the pointed tops of pines and spruces, and there were long tracts of maple and beech woods with their coloring of lighter, fresher green. "'Suppose we go down now,' said Mr. Lorimer, long before Kate and I had meant to propose such a thing, and our feeling was that of dismay. "'I should like to take you to make a call with me. Did you ever hear of old Mrs. Bonny?' "'No,' said we, and cheerfully gathered our wraps and baskets, and when Tommy finally came panting up the hill after we had begun to think that our shoutings and whistlings were useless, we sent him down to the horses and went down ourselves by another path. It led us a long distance through a grove of young beeches. The last year's whitish leaves lay thick on the ground, and the new leaves made so close a roof overhead that the light was strangely purple, as if it had come through a great church window of stained glass. After this we went through some hemlock growth, where, on the lower branches, the pale green of the new shoots and the dark green of the old made an exquisite contrast each to the other. Finally we came out at Mrs. Bonny's. Mr. Lorimer had told us something about her on the way down, saying in the first place that she was one of the queerest characters he knew. Her husband used to be a charcoal burner and basket maker, and she used to sell butter and berries and eggs, and choke pears preserved in molasses. She always came down to Deephaven on a little black horse, with her goods and baskets and bags, which were fastened to the saddle in a mysterious way. She had the reputation of not being a neat housekeeper, and none of the wise women of the town would touch her butter especially, so it was always a joke when she coaxed a new resident or a strange shipmaster into buying her wares. But the old woman always managed to jog home without the freight she had brought. "'She must be very old now,' 
said Mr. Lorimer. "'I have not seen her in a long time. "'It cannot be possible that her horse is still alive.' "'And we all laughed when we saw Mrs. Bonny's steed at a little distance, "'for the shaggy old creature was covered with mud, pine-needles, and dead leaves, "'with half the last year's burdock burrs in all Deephaven, "'snarled into his mane and tail, and sprinkled over his fur, "'which looked nearly as long as a buffalo's. "'He had hurt his leg, and his kind mistress had tied it up "'with a piece of faded red calico and an end of ragged rope.' He gave us a civil neigh, and looked at us curiously. Then an impertinent little yellow-and-white dog, with one ear standing up straight and the other drooping over, began to bark with all his might. But he retreated when he saw Kate's great dog, who was walking solemnly by her side, and did not deign to notice him. Just now Mrs. Bonney appeared at the door of the house, shading her eyes with her hand to see who was coming. "'Landy!' said she, if it ain't old Parson Lorimer, and who be these with ye? This is Miss Kate Lancaster of Boston, Miss Catherine Brandon's niece, and her friend Miss Dennis. Pleased to see ye, said the old woman. Walk in and lay off your things. And we followed her into the house. I wish you could have seen her. She wore a man's coat, cut off so that it made an odd short jacket, and a pair of men's boots, much the worse for wear, also some short skirts, beside two or three aprons, the inner one being a dress apron, as she took off the outer ones and threw them into a corner, and on her head was a tight cap with strings to tie under her chin. I thought it was a nightcap, and that she had forgotten to take it off, and dreaded the mortification if she should suddenly become conscious of it, but I need not have troubled myself, for while we were with her she pulled it on and tied it tighter, as if she considered it ornamental. There were only two rooms in the house. We went into the kitchen, which was occupied by a flock of hens and one turkey. The latter was evidently undergoing a course of medical treatment behind the stove, and was allowed to stay with us, while the hens were remorselessly hustled out with a hemlock broom. They all congregated on the doorstep, apparently wishing to hear everything that was said. "'Been up on the mountain?' asked our hostess. "'Real sightly place. Going to be a master lot of raspberries. Get any down to the shore since I quit coming?' "'Oh, yes,' said Mr. Lorimer. "'But we miss seeing you.' "'I suppose so,' said Mrs. Bonney, smoothing her apron complacently. "'But I'm getting old, and I tell him I'm going to take my comfort. Since he died—' I don't put myself out no great. I've got money enough to keep me long's I live. Beckett's folks goes down often, and I sends by them for what store stuff I want. How are you now? asked the minister. I think I heard you were ill in the spring. Stirrin', I'm obliged to ye. I wasn't laid up long, and I was so's I could get about most of the time. I've got the best bitters ye ever see, good for the spring of the year. S'pose your sister, Miss Lorimer, wouldn't like some. She used to be weakly looking. But her brother refused the offer, saying that she had not been so well for many years. Do you often get out to church nowadays, Mrs. Bonney? I believe Mr. Reed preaches in the schoolhouse sometimes, down by the great ledge, doesn't he? Well, yes, he does. 
"'But I don't know as I get much of any good. "'Parson Reed, he's a worthy creature, "'but he never seems to have nothing to say "'about foreordination and them pints. "'Old Parson Paddleford was the man. "'I used to set under his preaching a good deal. "'I had an aunt living down to East Parish. "'He'd get worked up, and he'd shut up the Bible "'and preach the hair off your head, "'long at the end of the sermon.' "'Couldn't understand more nor a quarter part what he said,' said Mrs. Bonney admiringly. "'Well, we were a-speaking about the meeting over to the ledge. "'I don't know's I like them people any to speak of. "'They had a great revival over there in the fall, "'and one Sunday I thoughts how I'd go. "'And when I got there, who should be a-praying but old Ben Patey? "'He always lays out to get converted, "'and he kept it up diligent till I couldn't stand it no longer.' "'And by and by,' says he, "'I've been a wanderer. "'And I up and says, "'Yes, you have. "'I'll back ye up on that, Ben. "'Ye've wandered around my woodlot "'and spoiled half the likely young oaks and ashes I've got, "'a-stealin' your basket stuff.' "'And the folks laughed out loud, "'and up he got and cleared. "'He's an awful old thief, "'and he's no idea of being anything else.' I wasn't a-goin' to set there and make him make believe to the Lord. If anybody's heart's in it, I ain't a-goin' to hinder em. I'm a professor, and I ain't ashamed of it, weekdays nor Sundays neither. I can't bear to see folks so pious to meetin' and cheat your eye-teeth out Monday morning. Well, there, we ain't none of us perfect. Even old Parson Moody was round-shouldered, they say." "'You were speaking of the Becketts just now,' said Mr. Lorimer, after we had stopped laughing, and Mrs. Bonney had settled her big steel-bowed spectacles, and sat looking at him with an expression of extreme wisdom. One might have ventured to call her pert, I think. "'How do they get on? I am seldom in this region nowadays, since Mr. Reed had taken it under his charge.' "'They get along somehow or another,' replied Mrs. Bonney. They've got the best farm this side of the ledge. But they're dreadful lazy and shiftless, them young folks. Old Miss Hateyville Beckett was telling me the other day, she that was Samanthy Barnes, you know, that one of the boys got fightin' the other side of the mountain and came home with his nose broke and a piece of one ear bit off. I forgot which ear it was. Their mother is a real clever willin' woman, and she takes it to heart. "'but it's no use for her to say anything. "'Miss Hate-Evil Beckett says she, "'it does make my man feel dreadful "'to see his brother's folks carry on so. "'But there,' says I, Miss Beckett, "'it's just such things as we read of. "'Scripture is fulfilled. "'In the larder days there shall be disobedient children.' "'This application of the text was too much for us, "'but Mrs. Bonney looked serious, "'and we did not like to laugh.' Two or three of the exiled fowls had crept slyly in, dodging underneath our chairs, and had perched themselves behind the stove. They were long-legged, half-grown creatures, and just at this minute one rash young rooster made a manful attempt to crow. "'Do tell,' said his mistress, who rose in great wrath. "'You needn't be so forth-puttin' as I knows on.' After this we were urged to stay and have some supper." Mrs. Bonney assured us she could pick a likely young hen in no time, fry her with a bit of pork, and get us up a good meat tea. But we had to disappoint her, as we had some distance to walk to the house, 
where we had left our horses and a long drive home. Kate asked if she would be kind enough to lend us a tumbler, for ours was in the basket which was given into Tommy's charge. We were thirsty, and would like to go back to the spring and get some water. "'Yes, dear,' said Mrs. Bonny. "'I've got a glass. If it so's I can find it.' And she pulled a chair under the little cupboard over the fireplace, mounted it, and opened the door. Several things fell out at her, and after taking a careful survey she went in, head and shoulders, until I thought that she would disappear altogether. But soon she came back, and reaching in, took out one treasure after another, putting them on the mantelpiece, or dropping them on the floor. There were some bunches of dried herbs, a tin horn, a lump of tallow in a broken plate, a newspaper, and an old boot, with a number of turkey wings tied together, several bottles and a steel trap, and finally such a tumbler which she produced with triumph before stepping down. She poured out of it on the table a mixture of old buttons and squash seeds, beside a lump of beeswax, which she said she had lost, and now pocketed it with satisfaction. She wiped the tumbler on her apron and handed it to Kate. But we were not so thirsty as we had been, though we thanked her and went down to the spring, coming back as soon as possible, for we could not lose a bit of the conversation. There was a beautiful view from the doorstep, and we stopped a minute there. "'Real sightly, ain't it?' said Mrs. Bonny. "'But you ought to be here and look across the woods some morning just at sun-up. "'Why, the sky is all yaller and red, and them low lands topped with fog. "'Yes, it's nice weather, good growing weather this week. "'Corn and all the rest of the trade looks first-rate. "'I call it a forward season. "'It's just such weather as we read of, ain't it?' "'I don't remember where, just at this moment.' said Mr. Lorimer. "'Why, in the almanac, bless ye,' said she, with a tone of pity in her grum voice. Could it be possible he didn't know? The Deephaven minister? We asked her to come and see us. She said she had always thought she'd get a chance some time to see Miss Catherine Brandon's house. She should be pleased to call, and she didn't know, but she should be down to the shore before very long.' She was shamed to look so shiftless that day, but she had some good clothes in a crist in the bedroom, and a boughten bonnet with a good cypress veil, which she had when he died. She calculated they would do, though they might be old-fashioned some. She seemed greatly pleased at Mr. Lorimer's having taken the trouble to come to see her. All those people had a great reverence for the minister. We were urged to come again in Rosbury time, which was near at hand, and she gave us messages for some of her old customers and acquaintances. "'I believe some of those old creatures will never die,' said she. "'Why, they're getting to be terrible old, ain't they, Mr. Lorimer?' "'There, ye've done me a sight of good, and I wish I could have found the Bible to hear ye read a psalm.' When Mr. Lorimer shook hands with her at leaving, she made him a most reverential courtesy. He was the greatest man she knew, and once during the call, when he was speaking of serious things in his simple, earnest way, she had so devout a look, and seemed so interested, that Kate and I and Mr. Lorimer himself caught a new, fresh meaning in the familiar words he spoke. Living there in the lonely clearing, deep in the woods, and far from any neighbor, she knew all the herbs and trees and the harmless wild creatures who lived among them by heart. 
and she had an amazing store of tradition and superstition, which made her so entertaining to us, that we went to see her many times before we came away in the autumn. We went with her to find some pitcher plants one day, and it was wonderful how much she knew about the woods, what keen observation she had. There was something so wild and unconventional about Mrs. Bonney that it was like taking an afternoon walk with a good-natured Indian. We used to carry her offerings of tobacco, for she was a great smoker, and advised us to try it if ever we should be troubled with nerves, or narves, as she pronounced the name of that affliction. End of chapter 10